everyone. It's good to see you on this brisk morning in, uh, in uh, September, and good to see you guys as we're continuing in a series uh, that we've been doing now for a long time. We've been calling a 90-day trek through the Bible. In fact, next week, we're going to be finishing this series. The week after that, we're going to be starting a brand new series called The Sex Talk, and uh, you can read about that in your program as well. Just want to let you know that that series is coming in case you got little kids you bring into service. Uh, we are labeling that series PG-13, and uh, basically just parental, parental discretion is advised for that series coming up pretty soon. And we'll talk a little bit more about that to come. But as we're uh, kind of looking at this series, a 90-day trek through the Bible, basically what we've been doing, if you're a guest with us this morning, or if you've missed this series, is we've been taking a 90-day period of time, basically the entire summer, and we have been overviewing the entire Bible. And really, quite simply, the reason we've been doing this is because we've been saying that, man, you know, the Bible is so foundational, and the Bible is so important, and yet it's one of those things in our culture that oftentimes is met with a lot of confusion. Um, sometimes it's met with a lot of skepticism. Uh, met with a lot of controversy. We said because of that, it'd probably be helpful if we just took a whole series, just took the whole summer and really kind of overviewed the Bible, kind of demystified it a little bit and talked about what is the Bible? How did we get it? And, and, and what exactly is the Bible? How are we to sort of understand it? So that's what we've been doing in this series. And again, if you're just joining us, what we've been saying from the very beginning is if you want to understand what the Bible is, kind of in a nutshell, probably the best way to do that is this, is to know that the Bible is God's rescue plan. Now, that's really what the Bible is. When you're holding a copy of the Bible, what you're really holding is God's rescue plan. From cover to cover, uh, that is kind of the central theme of the Bible. That is to say that the Bible is not primarily a history book. The Bible is not primarily um, a, a science book. The, the Bible is not primarily you know, just this inspirational book of motivational stories. And even though the Bible includes those things, that's not what the Bible is really about. The Bible is not only God's um, explanation of, but also his desire in which he explains to us that he wants to save humanity. It's his rescue plan. My guess is some of you are probably familiar with some of that language. You've probably heard people say, you know, Jesus saves, or you've heard people say, you know, God wants to save you. But like, what exactly does that mean that God wants to save us? Save us from what? Save us by what and save us to what? And, that, and that's really what we said the Bible's all about. The Bible is God's explanation, a very thorough explanation of what it means that God has rescued us. And so we said the Bible really contains for us all three aspects, what we're saved from, what we're saved by, and what we're saved to. And so for that reason, what we've been doing in this series is we've been talking under each one of those headings each week. And so, for example, we took a month, kind of the first 30 days of the series, we talked all about what the Bible teaches us that we're saved from. And so we kind of unpacked that idea. We took the next 30 days. We talked all about what the Bible says we're saved by. And so we sort of unpacked that. And now as we're sort of rounding the corner and finishing this series, we've been spending these last weeks talking about what the Bible teaches us that we're saved to, the reality that God wants to save us into. And so just encourage you, by the way, that if you've missed any of those previous conversations and you would like to catch up, it might be helpful. Um, you can go to our Grace Church website or you can check out the app that was mentioned earlier. Listen to all of those for free. Sub subscribe to our podcast. Watch those if you want to. Uh, but today, as we sort of continue in this series and continue this conversation, the topic that we want to talk about today, so we want to talk about what we're saved to, but in particular, what I want to talk about this morning is that the Bible teaches us that we are saved to good works. We are saved to, those who follow Jesus and trust Jesus, we are saved to good works. Now, what in the world do I mean when I say that? Well, let me show you what I'm talking about. All right, so if you've got your Bibles, why don't we just grab them? 
Let's waste no time. Get right into it. Ephesians chapter 4 is uh, where we're going to be heading this morning. Ephesians, I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 2, rather. And so uh, go ahead and grab your Bibles and get there. And let me just encourage you that if you didn't bring a Bible with you this morning, um, that is no problem. We should have some Bibles um, out there for you in the chairs. And so you can just grab one of those black Bibles. You can turn to page uh, 814. And those Bibles that we have look like this. And I also just encourage you, um, again, if you're a guest with us this morning and you don't own a Bible, then you could just do us a favor and you could take one of ours, make it a gift from us to you. We think it's really, really important that you have a Bible. Or if you want to, you can also go to that Grace Church app. You can access the Bible um, from that app and the scripture should be available for you there in that passage. And, uh, and I'll also put the verses up on the screen as well if you want to follow on that way. Okay, so Ephesians chapter two, we're going to be reading verses one to 10. So here we go. Ephesians 2, starting off in verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ, and he seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Very, very powerful passage. Before we start unpacking this, why don't we just take a moment, let's talk to God, ask him to help us bring clarity to uh, what it is that he has to speak to us today. So let's do that. Well, God, I just want to say thank you for an opportunity to... um, approach the Bible today. And uh, Lord, we come here um, to your word and I pray that you would help illuminate some of the powerful things that you have to tell us here. Uh, Lord, we wanna come with a heart of expectation. Uh, We expect to hear from you. We expect that you would speak to us through this, show us, God. I pray that the profound truths that are contained in this passage would be internalized in our hearts. Give us eyes to see what it is that you want to speak to us and ears to hear, maybe the changes you want us to make in our own lives. And so, Father, we approach you and we ask you that you would do these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So when I read this passage, um, actually reminded me of something that happened this past week a little bit. And so um, this past week, my wife asked me to do something that she, I think, seldom, if ever, has asked me to do. Uh, My wife asked me to build something for her. Now, the reason that never happens is because I am notoriously bad at working with my hands and uh, just not good at it at all. It's always been that way. And that's not by choice. I really wish I was one of those people who could fix anything or build anything. Some of you guys are that way. You can fix anything or build anything. And I'm just telling you, I am like so impressed by that. I think that is so cool that God has given some people that skill. I do not have that skill. And so just as a kind of an example, when Jess and I first got married, I wanted to take up the hobby of whittling, you know, like with wood, whittling. I know it sounds like I'm prematurely 80 years old, but I just thought, it, I was like, that looks cool to me. I, you know, I'd love to take a block of wood and, you know, make a swan or something like that. And so I started getting into it. And that lasted for about two weeks until I stabbed my hand and had to go to the hospital and get stitches. And that's sort of how it goes for me when I try to work with my hands. I'm just all thumbs. So, so my wife comes to me and she says, I want you to 
build something. Now, here's why she asked me that. Because we have a situation in our basement. Um, in our basement, in our house, for whatever reason, there is a pipe that is protruding out of the wall. just about four feet out. It's a water main. And I don't think that they did that on purpose. I think it was a design mistake because it just juts right out of the wall, right into the middle of the basement area. And it's about knee high. And so this poses a problem for us because we have little kids, right? And so they're always running around downstairs. They're always chasing each other. And so we're like, it's only a matter of time before either they break the pipe or the pipe breaks them. And so we're going to have to figure out some solution to cover that thing. So my wife comes to me and she says, would you be willing to make a custom table that would fit over top of that pipe, but it has to have walls on it so that when the kids sit at the table, they don't kick the pipe, right? And so she's like, could you do this? Now, the reason she asked me, me to do it was because it's in the basement. And so no one cares what it looks like, right? And the kids are going to destroy it anyway. So she's probably like, yeah, it's fine. You can do it, you know? And so I was like, challenge accepted. This is awesome. So I immediately went to work. Felt like I was back in the wood shop again, right? And I got my measuring tape out, you know, dusted it off. And I went downstairs and I started taking measurements. And I got a piece of paper and I got a pencil and I started drafting up some pictures of what I thought this thing might look like, some concept art, right? And I went to my wife and I was like, what do you think about this idea? Finally, we landed on a design that I really liked. And then I went to work on it, man. I I started to get my computer open and I started to write down the different dimensions. I started doing the math. I'm going to need this many pieces at this length. I actually went so far that I made myself instructions on how to build it, step by step like Ikea-style instructions. I even put pictures in it, okay? Just to kind of show you how, I just, like, I just want to get it right. I want, when it comes time to build this thing, I don't even want to think. I just want to assemble. And so I had it. So finally I had all my plans. I was ready to go. And, and you would think that the next step would be that I would go to Home Depot or I would go to Lowe's and I would buy the materials that I needed for this project. But I didn't. And this is where my thrifty side or maybe some would say my cheap side, um, came out. I thought, I don't want to pay for this thing. And so because it's in the basement, it doesn't matter what it looks like, I just want to build it out of scrap, right? And so I'm going to accumulate all of the scrap wood and scrap materials that I can find, and I'm going to try to construct this thing just out of whatever I can kind of find. So I went around the house, and I started getting all the scrap I could find. I grabbed pieces from a broken shelf that we had. I grabbed pieces from a dissembled crib that we had that wasn't functioning anymore. I took some, some old remnants from two-by-fours that had been chopped up from other projects in the past. I actually went and pulled some stuff off of the curb in my neighborhood uh, when they were thrown out for trash. And I was just like, I'm going to grab this stuff. And I got it all together, put it in my garage, finally had everything that I needed. And then I went to work. And I started cutting the boards and I started reworking things and drilling things and hammering things. It was actually kind of fun. Uh, My boys, um, I have a six and a four-year-old, so they helped me, which you guys know what that means, right? It means they got in the way. But we had a good time. So they were out there with me and we kind of built this thing. And after after a couple of days of working on this thing, I had my table. And I'm kind of proud of this table because they don't do this very often. So I thought, maybe, would you guys like to see a picture of my table? You guys want to see it? Okay, check this out. This is, I know it's kind, of, it's kind of scrappy, but here it is. So that's my table that I built. Um, that's a joke, by the way. <laughs> There's no way in the world I could ever build anything that immaculate. So, no, I, I actually didn't bring a picture of my table because it's not really that great. Um, my table, if I could summarize it in one word, it's functional. That's my table, right? But, but why do I tell you that, that story? What does that have to do with this Ephesians passage? Well, I think that story actually sheds a little bit of light on the passage that I'm reading. It came to my mind, and here's why. 
Okay? This passage in Ephesians, and many of you guys might be familiar with this passage, especially if you've been in the church for a while. But what this passage tells us in the very beginning is it tells us that you and I, that each one of us, that we were dead in our transgressions and sins, the Bible says. And the Bible says that we, by nature, were destined for God's wrath, destined for destruction. And I know that sounds kind of harsh, and I just encourage you that if that strikes you in a harsh way, that maybe you kind of rewind in the series and go back. We actually uh, talked in the past about the wrath of God and about things like sin and about what the Bible teaches, tried to add clarity to that topic. But essentially, here's what the Bible teaches. The Bible says that each one of us was born, humanity was created to be in perfect harmony with God. In Genesis, we see that. God created humanity to be in a relationship that was marked by intimacy with him. But because of sin... And because of disobedience that's been tainted, that relationship has been broken. And so the Bible says that now we are destined for destruction. And so for lack of a better way of of putting it and for the sake of analogy, in some ways, um, we're not too dissimilar from that scrap, right? We were designed for an original purpose. We have broken ourselves. We have failed that original purpose. And so the Bible says we are now destined for destruction. But then the Bible says something interesting. The Bible says, but God rich in his mercy and in his grace, he saved us. He pulled us out of his wrath. He pulled us out of the the position of being in destruction and he saved us. It's by grace we've been saved through faith is what the Bible tells us that God in his loving kindness has reached out to us and he has loved us and he has forgiven us. And you see what the Bible tells us in Ephesians is that we have been saved from something. We have been saved from sin. We have been saved from wrath. We've been saved from destruction, but it also says we've been saved by something. Right? We've been saved by Jesus. We've been saved by grace through faith. That's what the passage teaches us. But what I really want to show you this morning is that Ephesians tells us that we've also been saved to something. That there, there is a purpose in which God has saved us. And so let me just show you. Verse 10 really clarifies it. So check this out again. Verse 10. For we are God's handiwork. We are created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. You see what verse 10 is telling us. Here's what it tells us, that when, when God saves us, that he doesn't just save us and leave us. It says that when he saves us, he saves us into a plan, that he repurposes us, he remakes us, he reforms us into something according to his purposes, into his wills. I want you to notice there's a really awesome word that's used there. It says, for we are God's handiwork. You notice that, the word handiwork? Some of you have different translations, and um, in your translation, it might say this, we are God's workmanship. That's a really interesting word. In the original language, it's actually the same word that we get our word poem from. It, It literally means masterpiece. That's what it is. So here's the picture that the Apostle Paul is painting for us. He says that we are God's workmanship, that we are God's masterpiece. That means that God, unlike me, is a master craftsman so skilled in his, in his exacting abilities to make the masterpieces that he, that he desires. And so the Bible says that God is the master craftsman and that we are his workmanship, that we are his masterpiece, that we are the poem that he is creating. And so God is working in these powerful ways. But then check out this next part. I love this. It says, for we are God's handiwork, his workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. You see that? We are created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared for us to do. God has prepared this. That's to say this. When Jesus has saved us, for those of us who have embraced Christ, the Bible tells us when he has saved us, he has saved us into a plan. 
And so in the same way with my, my, my little table, when I grabbed a piece of scrap wood, I had a vision, I had an idea of what I wanted to do with it. I, I had a plan for it the moment I grabbed it. And the Bible tells us that when Jesus Christ saved us, when we embrace him, that he has a plan for us. He has a vision for what he wants to accomplish in us, right? And you guys, when you get a hold of this, if you get a hold of this, it has unbelievably profound implications. Because what does this mean? Well, it means a few things. First thing it means is this. It means that in Christ Jesus, God has a vision for you. Did you know that? God has a plan and he has a vision for what he wants to do in you and what he wants to do through you. You are his masterpiece. You are his workmanship. And he is a master craftsman. And he has an idea in his mind, a vision, a mental picture of what you could be and what you should be. The Bible says that God has that for you. That means your life is not an accident. That means the past things that have happened to you, joys, pains, failures, frustrations, those are all things that God is going to use and redeem. He doesn't waste pain. This means that that, that your life is not just some a series of random events. You're not the product of some random universe. The Bible says, no, no, God's got a plan. man. He's got a vision for what he wants to do with you and what he wants to do through you. This means God has a plan for us. Here's what it also means though. It also means that God's not doing something to you, but God is doing something in you because he wants to accomplish something through you. You know what I mean by that? A lot of times we go through hard stuff in life, difficult times in life, and we think, man, why is God doing this to me? Well, this passage tells us because Jesus has a vision for what he wants us to become, that means that God is going to use every circumstance in our life, every joy-filled, every pain-filled, every relationship, every unique thing that happened to your, in your upbringing, God is going to use all of those things as tools in his hands to send you and create you to be the person that he wants you to be. And he is forming you and he is making you. And that doesn't always feel good, right? Sometimes that means that God has to use the saw and he's got to cut stuff out of your life. Sometimes that means he's got to use the sandpaper and he's got to smooth things out, some rough edges that you have. Sometimes that means he's got to add some stuff to you. But listen, the Bible tells us that because God has a vision for us and because he is creating us, we are his workmanship and he's creating us to do good works that he's prepared in advance for us to do. That means that he's not doing something to you. Listen, some of you need to hear that this morning because maybe for you, you're going through something right now and you're like, man, God, why would you let this happen to me? How could you let this happen? And listen, we might not know the immediate reason of why God is allowing that to occur, but we know the ultimate reason. The ultimate reason is because you are God's workmanship and he is doing a work in you and he is sending you and he has a vision in his mind for what he wants you to be and what he wants you to, to do. And it's a masterpiece. God wants to take your mess and he wants to make a masterpiece. God wants to take your brokenness and he wants to make something magnificent out of it. It's what the Bible tells us. You guys, this is huge. When you catch the implications for this, God has a vision for you. That means everything that's happened to you in your life up to this point and even the circumstances that you're facing right now are all tools in the hands of a skillful God who's sending you and making you the person that he wants you to be. But here's the other thing this passage tells us. It tells us that we are saved to good works. That the purpose in which God is preparing us and sending us is to do good works. And I think this is really important because uh, there, there's a really good distinction that the Apostle Paul makes in this passage. Some of you may have noticed in verse 8 and 9, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, for it's by grace that we have been saved through faith, not by works. 
so that no one can boast. So the Apostle Paul says, listen, it's not by works that you're approved by God, right? You're not saved because you do good stuff. It's not because you're a great moral person that God accepts you is what he says, right? So good works don't save us. But notice in the very same breath, the Apostle Paul says, but you've been created in Christ Jesus to do good works. You see what he's saying there? He's saying, listen, you're not saved by good works, but you're saved to them, right? You're not, I'll put it another way. You're not saved by moral living. Moral living isn't going to earn you status and approval by God, but you're saved for moral living. If you're a follower of Jesus, that's a product of it. I'll put it one more way. That good works are not the root of our faith. They're the fruit of our faith, right? It's the product of what happens when we follow God. And I think that this is really important because I don't know about you, but a lot of times I think in, in Christian circles, we can oftentimes talk about good works and we can be like, no, 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 we're not saved by good works. We're not saved by good works. And we can start to look at good works like they're bad. But good works aren't bad, they're good, right? And that's why the Bible says Jesus has saved us not because of good works that we've done, but that means that good works are a product. We're saved to them. We're saved for good works. And, that, and what does that mean? Well, here, here's what that means. It means that God has done such amazing things in our life that God has saved us that God has prepared good works for us. But it also means this. It means that for those of us who follow Jesus, and I know not everyone in this room follows Jesus, but for those of us who do, that means that we have a responsibility, that we actually do play a part in all of this. And we see it. I want you to notice what it says in verse 10 again. Look at this. It says, um, we're God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance. Now look at this, for us to do. Uh, God's part, is that he has saved us, not by works, but by grace. We were destined for destruction, and he saved us. God's part is that he has redeemed us, and he has given us position, and he has, and he has called us back to himself. God's part is that he has prepared for us good works in advance for us to do. Our part is that we do them. Um, see, this, this part can get kind of tricky, because for some of us, we can make this really mystical and really abstract. And we could say, what does that even mean? God's prepared good works in advance for me to do. And, and how am I supposed to identify those good works that God has prepared in advance for me to do? Does that mean that God already knows what, like, does God know what I'm going to do before I do it? And there's this whole controversy that comes up in our mind. And what can happen is we can make this super mystical and we can make this super abstract and we can start concerning ourselves and saying, well, wait a minute, if God has already prepared in advance for me to do something, how do I know that I'm doing it, Right? And so I'm at, am I at the right job? Am I married to the right person, right? And, and, and should I even have these children, you know? And, 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 you know, what school should I go to? And I'm not sure why. And a lot of times what we can do with this passage is we can say, oh my gosh, I'm so worried. How do I know what God's will is for me? I have to busy myself in trying to figure out what's the good works that God has prepared in advance for me to do. And I would say that even though that there is some mystical and strange components of this that are hard to get our mind around, I think that this passage is intensely practical. You're like, what do you mean? Well, let me explain to you what I mean. If you look at that, that, that word again, if you go back to that slide where it says that God has prepared in advance for us to do, that's a really important word, to do. Um, I think that this is the NIV translation, and I think that it can be missed a little bit. Some of you have different translations. You might have the New American Standard Version. If you have the New American Standard Version, I love the way that it puts it. It says this. It says, God has prepared good works for us so that we might walk in them. That's what it says. That word, what it literally means in the Greek, very helpful word, it means to make use of opportunities. It makes to progress. It it means to take one step after another. Just think about it for a minute. How do you walk? It's pretty simple, right? I put one foot in front of the other. 
It's one step at a time. And so in the same way, how do we walk in the good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do? It is one step of obedience. It is one step of loving God and loving others. It is one step of glorifying God in my circumstances at a time. You see, I think this is so important because a lot of times we read this and we start to get so concerned about what's God's will for me tomorrow. But the real question is, no, no, no. What's God's will for you today? What are the good works that God has prepared in advance for you to do today, right now, in the circumstances that you are in right now, right? Now, let, me, let me just put some skin on this. Super practical. For some of you right now, um, at your job, right? My guess is for many of you, you probably work in an atmosphere that you may be surrounded by people who just don't share the same value system as you do, right? And so maybe for you, if you're a Christ follower, you want to honor Jesus in the workplace. You want to glorify God the best to your ability in that place. But maybe you're surrounded by people who just don't share that value system, or maybe you're surrounded by people who even hostile towards that value system. It's a very normal thing, right? So, so the question is, God knows that you're in that place. He has uniquely placed you there. He has prepared that in advance. And that means that there is a good work there that God wants you to do. And what is the good work? Well, here it is. Whenever you work with integrity is unto God. Even when everyone else around you is not practicing integrity, that is a good work that God has prepared for you to do right now in this situation that you're in. Right? Now, you might not be at that job for the rest of your life. I don't know. But right now, God has a good work for you there. When you use your talents and abilities and gifts that God has given you to, to serve your clients well, right? To, to not be selfish and not to be self-promoting, to be humble in the workplace, to, to instead of joining the gossip circles with everyone else, you choose to instead say, no, I'm, I'm not going to join into that. I'm not going to speak slanderously against other people. You are walking in the good work that God has prepared in advance for you to do. You see how that works? It is so practical. For some of you right now, maybe there's a relationship in your life. It's very tense. And, and maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a friend. I don't know what it is. But there's someone right now in your life that they, maybe they have hurt you. Or maybe you have hurt them. And there's an issue there of tension. And there's unresolve. And maybe for you, there's a, maybe there's a proclivity in your heart to cling to bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness. Right? And, and so you, you're, you're vindictive towards that person. You, you crave Uh, vengeance and justice more than anything, and you cling to that. Well, listen, God already knows that you're in this situation. He has allowed this situation in your life because he is trying to prepare you for something, right? And so this isn't, God has uniquely placed you in that relationship that you're in right now. And so the question is, what is the good work that he has prepared in advance for you to do there? He's placed you in that situation. And so now, what does it mean to walk in the good work? Well, here's what it means. Whenever you forgive somebody from the heart, Whenever you choose to not cling to resentment or bitterness, but instead, uh, like the Bible says, to, to repay good for evil. Whenever you do that, what are you doing, man? You're walking in the good work that God has prepared in advance for you to do, right? For some of you in your marriage, maybe, maybe you're in a situation in your marriage where your spouse is just not reciprocating the, the love and affection that you want to show them, or maybe there's some kind of tension there. But listen, God knows that. You're in this situation that you're in today. What is the good work that God has prepared in advance for you to do? When you serve your spouse in love and of obedience to Jesus, you are doing the good work that God has prepared in advance for you to do. In your school, 
God uniquely placed you where you are, the relationships that you have, the past experiences that you have, the opportunities that are in front of you, those are unique to you, and God has prepared a good work for you right now where you're at. What is the good work that God wants you to walk in? With our kids, man, I don't need to tell you. If you're a parent, I, right now I have a six-year-old and a four-year-old and, and one that's on the way that's not born yet. And, and every day I'm reminded, every single day I'm reminded that, my goodness, I'm never getting this day back. I am never going to get this opportunity back again. And, and it reminds me, man, God, what is the good work that you have prepared for me for these little guys? What's the investment that you want me to make today, not tomorrow? Today, I can walk in the good work that God has for me. You guys in your neighborhood, that the house that God puts you in, God knows that you're in the area code that you're in. God knows the address where you live, and he has uniquely placed you with the neighbors who are surrounded you. Has God prepared you for a good work there? Maybe for some of you, you guys have a neighbor who's going through a difficult divorce or you have a neighbor who's a recent widow or widower or there's a difficult situation and you can intervene in some way. You can help. There's a good work God's prepared in advance for you to do. What is it that he's prepared for you, right? For some of you, man, you've been through hardship and pain and maybe there's been failure and addictions in the past that uniquely equip you to be qualified to help another person in a way that someone else can't. God has prepared you in advance to do a good work that he has established for you. And so the question isn't what's God's will tomorrow? What's God's work that he prepared in advance for me to do later? It's no, what is God's work for me today? And I need to walk in that good work that God has prepared for me in this moment, right? Today, to walk in. You see, guys, I think that this passage is extremely liberating. And here's why. Because this passage, what it does for the Christian, those who follow Jesus, is it releases us from the shame of past failures. We don't have to live in the past anymore. The Bible says that Jesus has forgiven all of that. And so we don't have to walk in shame and guilt anymore. And so we're freed from our past. But also notice that it also tells us that we're freed from the worry of the future. We don't have to worry about the future. Why? Because God has already prepared it for us. And so that means that we can put all of our mental energy, all of our obedience, all of our focus on what we can do now. Because if I walk in God's good works now, tomorrow's going to take care of itself. Proverbs puts it really well. Proverbs chapter 3 says this. It says, commit your way to the Lord and, 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 and commit all your, your ways to him, and he will make your path straight. That is to say that you just worry about the step you're taking right now, and God's going to worry about the destination. You don't have to concern yourself with that, all right? And so... What job, what school, who should I marry? God is concerned with those things. But listen, you just have to take one step of obedience at a time. What does it look like to walk in the good work that God has prepared in advance for me to do? And so God has prepared these good works for us. I love this passage because it teaches us that God has saved us to this. And so it really explains to us in some ways this passage why Christians do good works. So why do Christians do good works? Well, like I said, one of the main reasons that Christians do good works is not to earn God's acceptance and not to earn God's favor. We already have it. That's why Jesus died for us, so he could give us his righteousness, so that he could impute his righteousness on us. We're accepted by God, not by works, but simply by grace, and so we're approved by God. So why do Christians do good works? Because Jesus has saved us for that purpose. Um, We are created for it, according to this passage. Let me put it this way. Um, Some people read this passage and they say, okay, well, if I don't have to do good works to be accepted by God, then why would I do them? If I I don't have to, then why would I? 
And, and I think that if you're asking that question, you're asking a weird question and you're asking a wrong question. The better question wouldn't be, why should I do good works? The better question is, why wouldn't you do good works? Here's what I mean by that. Let me ask you a really dumb question for the sake of a weird analogy. Did you guys ever see an eagle walking down the street before? Anyone ever see that? Just, you know, eagle going for a jog down the road. Ever watch that? Um, my guess is you haven't. If you did, you might want to see a doctor because you probably didn't really see it. Have. It might, you know, might be delusional. But you ever see an eagle walk down the street? Probably not. And my guess is if you did see an eagle walking down the street, there'd probably be one question going through your mind, and it would be this. Why isn't he flying, right? There's something wrong with him. Something must be broken because he's got a six-foot wingspan. He's got six-inch legs. Dude, you were created to fly, so fly, right? And you know what the Bible says, you guys, in this passage, what it says about Christians? The Bible says that in Christ Jesus, when you give your life to Christ and you begin following him, you're a new creation. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, you are therefore a new creation. Oh, and what are we created to do? Good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. Listen, the truth is, if you are a follower of Jesus, you have been recreated, you've been repurposed, and it's for this reason, to do the good works that God has prepared in advance for you to do. This is why, by the way, I think that whenever we live, for those of us who follow Jesus, whenever we live in disobedience to God, in willful disobedience to God, whenever we walk in opposition to what his word teaches us, I think that's why we oftentimes feel so despondent and so cold and so stale in our relationship with God. If you guys are a follower of Jesus, my guess is you know what I'm talking about. I'm just telling you from my own experience, there have been times that I have willfully walked in disobedience to God and I have felt stale and cold and despondent in my relationship with him. God, you're so distant. Why is that? Is that because somehow we've lost the approval of God? No, 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 no. We don't gain approval because of the good things that we do. Why is it that we feel that way? Here's why. You're feeling the tension of not living according to your created existence. And and listen, you're like a fish out of water, right? You're like a caged bird. You're gonna feel depressed. You're gonna feel despondent because you're not doing what God has created you to do. Good works. One step of obedience at a time, right? what God has created us for in Christ Jesus. And that's also why, by the way, and my guess is many of you can testify this as well, that when we choose to walk in obedience to God and we choose, even when it's difficult, to serve other people rather than to serve ourselves and to give our lives for the sake of others, that there's something inside of us that awakens and says, yeah, that's what I was made for. Because you were. Christ has recreated you and he's repurposed you for this reason. So the Bible tells us that, that we are to do good works, not to earn salvation. We're not saved by good works, but we are saved to them. We've been recreated and repurposed for that reason, according to Jesus. And there's a third reason, and I'll end with this. The last reason I think that God wants us to do good works, that Christians are to do good works, is because God wants to use our good works to radically transform and change the world that he cares about so much. And you're like, what are you talking about? Well, it talks about it here in Ephesians, but I think it's made clear in other passages. So let me show you a couple other passages. Look at 1 Peter. This is great. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. Live such good lives among the pagans. Which, by the way, a pagan, that's kind of a crude way of saying a person that doesn't believe in Jesus. That's what that means. So live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your, look at this, good deeds. They'll see your good works. And they will glorify God on the day that he visits us. Or check out Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. It says the same thing in a different way. It says, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works 
glorify God who's in heaven. You see, you see what the Bible says? It says that when we do good works, not only are we living according to what God has created us to be, for those of us who follow Jesus, but we are also joining in God's rescue plan of the world. That God wants to use us. That God wants to, God wants to, to work himself through us. That through us, other people might know what God is like. He wants to change the world. He wants to save the world. And he wants to use you and I to be part of that plan. And I'm telling you, there is nothing greater than being used by God in this capacity. And so this passage tells us this, man. We're created for this. And God has saved us to good works. I'm going to ask the band to come up. And as they do and they close us out, I just want to close with two things. And then, and then we're done. Um, here's the first thing. For those of us who are followers of Jesus... All right, let me, let me just try to give you something super practical when we walk out of here. Um, the thing I, want you to, I really want you to focus on, if you can, this morning, is rather than saying, God, what are the good works that you have in store for me in the future? I just want you to take this one step at a time. Walk in the good works that God has prepared for you. And here's what I want you to do, if you're willing to. I want you to prayerfully talk to your heavenly father during this time of worship. And I want you just to ask him, just ask him, God, What is the good work that you have prepared for me today? What is the good work that you want me to walk in today? For some of you, maybe you need to serve your spouse. For some of you, maybe you need to call somebody, a relationship that God has put in your life that you know, man, I I am uniquely positioned to do a good work here. Maybe you need to call somebody. Maybe, Maybe for some of you, you need to forgive somebody. You need to release them from bitterness and resentment right now. I don't know what it is. God knows what it is. And my guess is you probably know what it is. My guess is that for those of us who follow Jesus, we know the areas that we are reserving ourselves from full obedience to him. And the question is, what does it look like for you to walk in the good work that God has prepared for you today? God has uniquely given you your experiences. God has uniquely given you your opportunities around you. God has uniquely given you your relationships and he has prepared good works in those. And so rather than approaching today passively, approach it actively, asking God, what are the good works that you prepared in advance for me? Some of you, right after this, you're going to go out to lunch and, and maybe you're going to go to Rockney's. I hope you do. It's a great place. And, uh, and, and, and listen, what if the primary concern on your mind was not, should I get the ribs or should I get the burger? Which I'm not trying to belittle that. That is a very important concern, right? But what if your primary concern was, God, do you have a good work for me here? Is there a good work for me here? Maybe I can, I can show interest in my server, ask her how he or she is doing. Maybe, maybe God has an opportunity for me to pray for that person. Maybe there's an opportunity for me to be generous in the way that I tip this person so that they can see the love of God in a very tangible way. What is the good work God has prepared in advance for you to do? And for those of us who follow Jesus, I want you to prayerfully talk about that. And then when God shows you, I want you to walk in it. Walk in the good work that he's prepared for you. Now, the, the other thing I want to say, for some of you right now, maybe, maybe you're in a position right now in life, and I know this isn't everyone, but there's some of you right now who, right now, you're like, my life is a wreck. And for some of you, you're like, I have made a mess of myself, or someone has made a mess of me, and everything's broken, and everything's demolished, and I, I see no hope, I see no way out. And if that's where you're at right now, can I just encourage you with these words? The Bible says that God is a master builder. He is a master artist. And he wants to take you and he wants to take your messes and he wants to make them into masterpieces. Listen, he is a very good artist. 
This is, this is the same God who takes dead things and brings them back to life. Okay? He's, his work is resurrection. It's amazing. And, and what I'm saying is that God has the ability and he has the desire to take your mess and to make it into a masterpiece. That he can use your mess to uniquely send you into a position and prepare a good work in advance for you to do. But here's the, here's the catch. Is that in order for that to happen... You have to entrust yourself into the hands of the master skillful worker. You have to. And for some of you, you're like, no, I am clinging to my definition of who I should be. I'm clinging to my, my, my purpose that I think I should, I should have in this life. And the Bible says, no, you need to relinquish that. that. In order for God to create this masterpiece, you have to surrender yourselves into the hands of him. And that doesn't always mean it's easy, and it doesn't always mean it feels good, but it does mean that, that, that he will take you and he will make you into a masterpiece for him. Maybe you've never done that before. Maybe you've never entrusted yourself into the hands of Christ. And maybe this morning you want to surrender to him. Say, Jesus, I'm, I'm giving you my life. I, I have tried it on my own and all I have are pieces. And would you take these and would you make a mosaic? Would you take these and would you make something beautiful? And he will. And he will. Let's pray together. Well, Jesus, your words this morning to us are good and uh, they're true. And Father, I pray you'd help us to really get a hold of this because the reality is you have a vision for us. Uh, You have a picture of what you want and hope us to be. And you've prepared good works in advance for us to do. And so I pray rather than us getting all concerned about what what is your will for us tomorrow and what do you want us to do later, I pray that you would free us up to be fully engaged in obedience to you today. Help us to walk in the good works that you've prepared in advance for us to do. I pray for those of us who follow you, Jesus, that this morning you would reveal to us what are the good works you have for us today. Today, And I pray that tomorrow we'd ask the same question. What are the good works you have for us today? And Father, I pray the day after that we'd ask the same question. What are the good works you've prepared in advance for us to do today? And Lord, that as long as it's today that we're asking that question. And so, Father, thank you for this liberating truth. We are unshackled from the shame of our past, and we are liberated from the worry of the future, and we are freed up to love you and obey you and do good works today. And so, Father, I pray you'd help us to walk in them. And, Father, for the person in this room who is uh, maybe in a place where they, they're not real sure um, about where they stand with you, and, and maybe they're, they're not in a place where um, um, they're, they're investigating and haven't quite got to a place where they feel convinced of you yet, Jesus. And I pray that you would just work in their heart, illuminate their, illuminate in their hearts the truth about who you are. Spirit, I pray that you'd work in us, that you would move in us. And, uh, and Lord, I pray for the person in this room who's looking at their life and saying, man, it's a mess. And Father, I thank you that you're the God of resurrection. Thank you that you're the God who takes messes and you can make masterpieces, that you are, you are uh, the master workman. So I ask you that you'd help us to entrust ourselves into your hands and let you do your work. And so, Father, we want to lift up these things and ask them in Christ's name. Amen.